When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This content may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. The more I walked around the house looking for stuff, the more dilapidated the house looked, and the worse things appeared to be. Caught in the electric fence was the rotting corpse of an elk, maggots and flies all over it. The worst of it was on my side of the fence, where the corpse had large chunks bitten out of it. I knew she was standing exactly where the shotgun leans. I knew she was between me and the door. I knew that she wanted to kill me. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. Thanks to the fun and challenging Best Fiends. Best Fiends is the binge-worthy mobile puzzle game. Download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. Today, I'm bringing you four true horrifying tales that just might make you question reality. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror Now, before we get going here, I have one thing I need to address. And this is something I have talked about before, but some people, particularly people leaving reviews, seem to be confused about how and where we're getting our stories. So please, allow me to make this clear. All the stories you hear on Disturbed come from either Reddit or email submissions. Now, Reddit has tons of different categories called subreddits that people can make posts in, and one of them is titled, Let's Not Meet. This is one that we use to find some of our stories. The people in this subreddit often sign off on their posts with, quote, Let's Not Meet. So if you hear that at the end of a story, it's because that's how that particular poster or author decided to end their story. My process for obtaining rights to someone's story is simple. I reach out to the author of the post with a direct message, asking if they would like to have their story shared on this podcast. An author of a story on Reddit has freedom to share their story with whichever entity they want. And with their permission, I then have one of our narrators take the story from there. In the show notes of each episode, you'll find links to each story's post on Reddit to show you exactly where the story came from. We also shout out the Reddit username who made the post right before each story. And we also take email submissions from listeners that sometimes make it onto the show as well. Now, this last part is important and it's where people seem to be confused. If you've heard any stories from Disturbed on other podcasts, it's because they're getting their stories from the same source that we do, which is Reddit. Every story you hear on Disturbed is with the author's permission. 
I hope that helps you all understand a little bit more about our process of obtaining and using stories. And hopefully in the future, podcasters will have the ability to reply to reviews. This would be extremely helpful in clearing up any misconceptions out there. Okay, thanks for bearing with me on that. So, let's get to the spooky stuff. We open the show with an email submission from Sophia, featuring voice work by Rhiannon Mauschel, and we make the connection between dream and reality. I was in my 20s when this happened. It was late when I went to bed one night and I was pretty tired, so I fell asleep right away and started dreaming. Now, it's relevant to the story for me to describe my bedroom. The bed was located against a wall in one corner so that when I lay down, on my left side there was a wall, and on my right side there was a vanity with a long mirror sitting on it. It was one of those rectangular mirrors with a very thin plastic frame. You know, the ones you can buy anywhere for a buck or two. In my dream, I was getting ready to go to school, looking for my uniform and supplies, as if I were back in elementary school, and everything seemed normal until suddenly, the atmosphere changed and the house looked like it was affected by flood. There was mud and water everywhere. The furniture was ruined. It was all chaos. But in my dream, I was still determined to go to school. The more I walked around the house looking for stuff, the more dilapidated the house looked and the worse things appeared to be. I got to a closet with almost detached doors and wet wood and I opened it. Inside, there was an old woman standing, staring at me. Then, with a syringe in her hand, she immediately started coming at me. I ran to escape her, but she kept very close. Evidently, she wanted to inject me with whatever she had in the syringe, and in the dream, I was sure she was going to kill me. No matter how much I ran, I couldn't get past her. On the contrary, she was getting closer and closer to me until she reached a point where she caught up with me and grabbed my arm. When she was about to stick the syringe in my arm, I woke up. As soon as I opened my eyes, I immediately sat up. I was so agitated and distressed that I started to hyperventilate. That had never happened to me before. No matter how horrible a nightmare was, I had always just opened my eyes and immediately felt relief. But this time, my body reacted differently and the first thing I did was sit up and take my head off the pillow. What happened next was what puzzled me the most and actually terrified me. A few seconds after I woke up and sat on the bed, the plastic edge on the mirror of the vanity came off. That is, it suddenly seemed as if the glue that held the plastic edge to the mirror had disintegrated, and the plastic strips that surrounded it just fell off, leaving the mirror as is, with its sharp, edges. Immediately after that, the mirror fell on its side, landing with the sharp side on my pillow. The pillow my head had been on seconds before. To explain it better, it was as if a guillotine had suddenly fallen on the pillow. I stayed there for a while, sitting on the bed looking at the mirror on the pillow, and trying to understand what the hell had just happened. But I couldn't find any explanation. The truth is that if I had not had that nightmare, I would not have woken up and moved my head away from the pillow, and the mirror would have fallen right on my face or neck. To this day, I cannot explain what happened. 
Could it be that the old woman in the dream scared me on purpose so that I would wake up and move away from the pillow? Or maybe the old woman was a force or thing or entity that wanted to hurt me and got into my dream? Or the explanation I decided to accept to reassure myself. Nothing weird happened. It was all a big coincidence. Are you loving the show? Let us know with a positive rating and review. In return, we'll help you hide the body. Next up, we have a submission from Zach, featuring voice work by John Patnode. And we come face to face with the rabid wolf. When I was just 10, I had what I consider my first close call with death. It was 2004, one of the last days of summer vacation. My sister's boyfriend brought over his new puppy, a cute Rottweiler named Brody. He got along well enough with our large black lab Chelsea, but was bitter rivals with my sister's precious cat Tigger, or as I like to call him, Fat Kitty, for his enormous jelly roll of a gut. Fat Kitty hated Brody so much he refused to be in the same living space as him. When Brody was in, Fat Kitty was out, and vice versa. But Chelsea played for hours with Brody. He really wore her out too, which was not an easy thing. When the sun began to set, we decided to go inside, everybody but Fat Kitty that is. Brody ended up spending the night, and Fat Kitty chose to spend his night out on the picnic table, I assume contemplating revenge on all of us for our betrayal. That was the last time I ever saw Fat Kitty. That night, I woke to a horrible shriek coming from outside. I snap out of bed and go to my window. It sounds like small animals running around our patio, but being unable to see that from my window, the best I can figure is my other cat, Zappa, a wild come-as-you-go type, was in the middle of his hundredth beatdown of another neighborhood cat. So I went back to bed, closing my window and turning up the fan that I still require to this day to fall asleep. When I woke, my dad had made breakfast, me and Fat Kitty's favorite, crispy bacon. I went outside and sat on the patio, but chose to go elsewhere when I noticed the mops of black fur on the table seat and edges, as if something squeezed through the table, scraping its hair off to fit. That wasn't all. Our chairs were also knocked over. It seemed there was a brutal fight last night, but who won? Our patio was prone to animal activity, so I just sat back and ate my bacon, waiting for Fat Kitty to show. He didn't. Then at snack time, I brought out another one of his favorites, goldfish. But he didn't show. When lunchtime came and passed, and still no sighting of the lovable bacon-stealing fat ass, my heart sank. I knew he was dead, but part of me held out hope and hope turned to action. Being a latchkey kid meant that from the hours of 8am to 4pm, I had a run of the house, so long my sister had work, which she did today, meaning I had four hours to look for Fat Kitty all by myself. I could be the hero, like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Commando. So I got on my hiking boots, camo pants, and a camo top complete with a Vietnam War-style bucket hat. 
I also stole my dad's mag light and Swiss Army knife to arm myself. I thought I was ready. As you will see, I surely wasn't. I set off, choosing to skip the bog created by runoff drain and walk some of the ways along the road before cutting into the woods. I spent a good hour walking along the trails my mom created. Now and then, passing the areas where we had countless battles with imaginary cannons made from rocks and logs. These were our woods. In actuality, it was state property, but I didn't know that. And I got my first taste of it when suddenly I noticed a strange wire-like fence across the woods, across our trail. This wasn't here a week ago. I walk up to it. Luckily, my friend Mark had just shown me Jurassic Park, so I knew what an electric fence was and didn't dare test if it was on. Instead, I walked along the fence hoping to find its end, but instead found something I wish I could unsee. I remember smelling it at first, something vile. What I saw was even worse. Caught in the electric fence was the rotting corpse of an elk, maggots and flies all over it. The worst of it was on my side of the fence, where the corpse had large chunks bitten out of it. I recoil and recklessly flee the scene. I've had more than enough adventure and decided to head back home. I made it to the halfway point where a creek cuts through the woods. On the shore, I found footprints, like a dog's but with deep claw imprints and oversized paws, seemingly headed in the direction I just came from. What was even stranger, I never noticed them on the way in. I cross the big log to the other side of the creek, on the home stretch now. I get about 50 yards when I hear something trudge through the creek. I look back and still have a decent view, but see nothing. I take it as a sign to just keep going and search closer to home. I walk and walk and come to the bog and the runoff drain. I decided to shine my light into the runoff drain. My cats enjoyed using it as a subterranean means of crossing the road and have often found them hiding in there. But on this day, I see nothing, which is odd because just when I look, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up and I'm more scared than I've ever been in my whole life. But why? I turn around and face the black wolf. I've frozen in place. For a moment, I thought it was Chelsea, but no. Standing 10 yards away was a monstrous, mangy wolf, fur missing in large patches, its gums red with sharp teeth bared in what seemed like a permanent snarl. It took a wobbled step toward me as if it were drunk. I picked up a rock and chucked it at it, just missing, but I don't think it'd have cared even if I had hit it. It just kept coming closer snapping at the air or invisible enemies. I didn't know if I could outrun it, but I knew I could fit through the runoff drain, so I crawled in on all fours. I got about halfway when I started to struggle. I remembered from my own underground adventures this part was always a tight squeeze, but it seemed I had grown some and it was nearly impossible for me to keep going any further. I look back toward the way I came, but can no longer see the light from that end. I keep looking and see the dim glow of eyes, and they're getting bigger. Adrenaline takes over. I crawl and scrape my way through the drain. My knee slices open on some exposed rebar, leaving a bloody wound and a scar, but I don't care. I've made it to the other side and climbed out of the runoff drain. I never look back, my heart pumping like a V8 engine. When my dad got home, I told him everything. 
He believed most of it, except the stuff with the wolf, and chalked it up to my overactive imagination. But after enough pestering, and he had enough beers in him, he humored me and went out to the drain to check my claim. There was no wolf, of course, but he did find something. A mangled foreleg gnawed off at the shoulder in clumps of black fur. So to the rabid wolf that killed Fat Kitty, let's meet again. I've got some unfinished business. Disturbed is brought to you by Best Fiends, and what a fun and addicting game this is. When I've got a few spare minutes, I love pulling up Best Fiends on my phone and getting a few levels in. Stop crushing the same old candy, you know what I'm talking about, and try a puzzle game with something new and fresh to offer. It's great because I'll finish recording a session for Disturbed, and I'll have some spare time before editing, so what do I do? Well, I usually pull up Best Fiends on my phone and try to knock out a few levels. And I do this for a couple reasons. One, it helps pass the time until I need to work on editing, and two, it helps me unwind and de-stress after recording. It's a nice little transition period for me. And that rush of beating a new level, you just gotta love it. Especially since the levels get increasingly challenging. And I've actually gotten a few of my friends hooked on playing as well, and we go back and forth. Hey, what level are you on now? Oh, I'm on 48, you? I'm up to 73, and it's a fun competition. With Best Fiends, it's not just random gameplay. You play through an actual storyline with meaning, and you compete with good guys, the fiends, and, well, not so good guys, the slugs. And for a game like this, the actual gameplay itself is some of the best I've seen for a mobile puzzle game. It's an action-packed adventure and a brain-boosting puzzle game all rolled into one. Why wouldn't you want to challenge your brain in your spare time? It helps keep you mentally strong. They add in new content all the time, so you're never going to be getting the exact same thing and you're never going to be bored. Download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Ever heard of Stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of Stoicism with a lowercase s and not Stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. Now back to the deliciously frightful, disturbed podcast with your host, Chad.
Up next is our title story coming to us from Reddit user Arnia715, featuring voice work by Tanya Eby, and we quite possibly switch realities. I want to share my story from my point of view. I was in the grocery store with my daughter doing some shopping. We were down the canned chili aisle. While walking by the chili to the left, I mentioned to my daughter that it was too bad that no one in the house liked chili dogs. She replied with, yuck, mom, hot dogs are gross. I said, okay, well, do we need some canned corn? So I looked above the aisle to read the signs above the aisles and noticed canned vegetables were in the next aisle to the right. So we walked, got to the end of the aisle, and turned right. Before we turned the corner to the aisle on the right, I looked down it and saw the chili to the left. I stopped and said to my daughter, hey, weren't we just down the chili aisle? My daughter said, whoa, mom, we were. Now we were standing outside the two aisles, looking back and forth between both aisles. I looked to the one on the right, the one we were just down, and saw baking goods like flour and things. We both kind of tripped out a bit laughing about it, chalking it up to we must be confused. I'm open-minded, but this definitely couldn't be possible. We wrapped up our shopping and came home. Fast forward to dinner time, minus a few details. The long story short is that I noticed my son's features looking slightly different to me. I kept saying how he just looked slightly older. Kind of like when you send your kid to camp for a week and when you see them, you notice how they aged just a wee bit from the last time you saw them. I asked my husband if he thought it possible for a person to notice the moment of the slightest aging in a child. We are pretty open-minded in our house and like to entertain conversations that don't fall in line with society's standards. It's fun, and we like to think for ourselves. At some point a while later, my daughter said, hey mom, tell them about what happened at the store. I told the story, and my husband, being my lovable weird self, said, I think you experienced a glitch in the matrix. Maybe my old wife is gone, and that's why our son looks different. I laughed it off because I like to always see the rational side to things, and also thought he was mostly joking. So we posted about it. I have no idea what really happened at the store. Had my daughter not been there to experience it with me, I might actually believe I in fact do have a mental illness, like some of the commenters on my husband's post thinks. I'm also a firm believer that that is how most of society is brainwashed to think. Oh, hey, they are weird and losing their mind. Give them meds. Over the past five years, I have been on a journey of loosening the grip that society conditioning has on me and trying to unlearn most of the things from my upbringings. I am learning to think for myself and also try to realize that life may not be what it seems to the next person. Perception is everything and experiences are different depending on who experiences them and how they vary. I am not saying I shifted realities. I am also not saying that I am insane. There's no black and white. There is only what I experience, and no one will see things the way I do. Maybe I will never know what truly happened, and that's part of life. Nothing has to have an answer. Not every situation out of the cookie-cutter life experience has to be labeled insane. I thank you all for your input on my husband's post. It certainly was a fun conversation to be a part of. My challenge to all the skeptics ready to deem me insane is that nothing is what it seems. Have an open mind. The next time you judge a person based on a story, try to think of all the times someone was trying to jury you based on a situation that you saw completely different. Does that make you insane? 
Should you go see a doctor because you experienced something that they swear is impossible? Or does it really matter if others see your point of view? Who decides what is sane and normal? Take out societal brainwash and think for yourselves. It's fun. Are you terrified yet? You will be. And finally, we hear from Reddit user MLE32000, featuring voice work by Tom Aglio. And we realize that not everyone is who they seem. time an actual murderer tried to kill me and I survived. It wasn't some hardened criminal or a scary-looking skinhead or a badass gangster. It was a little old woman, but she was a legit killer. She'd shot her husband in the chest with a shotgun two years prior to me meeting her. She did not do any jail time because she had numerous witnesses that had confirmed her story of self-defense. The rumor around the hood told a different tale, but regardless, she had truly killed a man and the shotgun that leaned in the corner of her foyer was probably the murder weapon. Anyway, I met this woman at the height of my drug addiction. I'm sober now, going on six years, but at the time I did opioids. My favorites were Percocets. A fellow junkie happily informed me that we had a promising new plug who sold her 70 pill prescription each month, Miss Coco. I go to the address the very next day and realize this woman lived only a few streets down from my homegirl Selena. I stopped by her place first to say hi. When she asked me why I was in the neighborhood, I told her I was coming to see Miss Coco and her expression changed. That's when I learned not only the story of the murder, but a bunch of other crazy stories about shit she'd done to people in the hood. Selena begged me to be careful. I'm like, whatever, it's an old woman, I ain't scared. I slide over to the address of this little shotgun house and knocked on the door. She was supposed to be expecting me. The door cracked barely open and I saw how short and old she was. All I could really see was a slice of her face and one of her bloodshot eyes. She asked me my name. I told her and she opened the door for me, motioning for me to enter. Right away I saw the gun leaned in the corner. She told me to follow her and I finally got a real good look. She was so feeble looking, not skinny, but short and hunched over and walked with a cane. Her head was wrapped in a silk bonnet and she was wearing something like a muumuu. Diabetes had taken part of her left foot. We're in the living room now and she asked me to sit down. I chose the only empty spot on the couch. The entire house was cluttered, but not dirty. Suddenly an oddly placed rug on otherwise bare floors made me wonder how hard it was to get blood out of wooden floorboards. Did Selena say she actually killed that guy in here? She offered me a drink and a snack. She looked at me with surprisingly kind eyes. What a strange drug deal, I thought. But how sweet of her. I remember thinking Selena was foolish for buying into all the hood tales of how dangerous this woman was. I drank a soda, declined a snack, and purchased her entire script of pain pills. She'll be getting it filled again on the same day next month, she informed me. Okay, great, see you then. I returned on a routine schedule for several months. I always drank a soda, declined a snack, and went happily on my merry, intoxicated way. I even got to know her a bit during my visits, her diabetes, her kids, how helpful weed was for her pain. I brought her a joint to share here and there. I even helped her move some furniture one day. Never a mention of her late husband though, and I wasn't going to ask. I had long forgotten any sort of wild ideas about this old sweet woman possibly snapping at any moment. One summer month, it was my day to go to Miss Coco's. My boy Shane was with me already, so I decided to let him ride along. We show up, go inside, same routine as always. She looked at him somewhat suspiciously, but I told her he was good people and she allowed him in. During our little chat, Shane mentioned something about wanting to see a movie that had just come out. I can't for the life of me remember which movie, 
Miss Coco got excited and told us she happened to have a bootleg of that exact movie that we could borrow. She let us look through a giant stack of bootleg, burned DVDs, and borrowed whatever we wanted. We took three of them and she simply asked that we return them when we were done. That night we decided to watch the one Shane had wanted to see, so we popped it into the player at my place. Immediately it was unwatchable, it seriously looked like a cell phone video. You could see people in the theater walking around in front of the screen. The guy filming was talking loudly to his date the entire time. Garbage. We laughed about it, assumed the other two were just as bad and watched something else. A few days later I was going to hang with Selena, so I figured I'd swing by and return the DVDs to Miss Coco. I tried calling, but she didn't answer. I walked up to the doorstep and knocked, but still no answer. I figured, no big deal, I'll just leave him here by the door for her. She had a storm door that had a screen on the top half and was solid metal on the bottom half. I opened that door, propped the shitty DVDs up against her actual door, and then closed it. That way they couldn't be seen, and were protected from the weather as well. I go on to Selena's place and don't give it a second thought. Later that night I'm getting high with my friends and my phone starts ringing. I'm seriously faded so I just decide to ignore it. I don't feel like talking. It rings again, and again. Finally, my homie is like, you can answer that? So I pulled out my phone to check it. It was Miss Coco. She never calls me, ever. Especially not late at night. Having her number in my phone was strictly for the purpose of me calling her on the 12th of each month to announce what I'm coming for. That's it. Today was only the 9th. I thought maybe something bad happened and she needed help. I called back and she picked up before it even rang one time. She was furious. I mean, absolutely livid. She did not sound like the little old lady whose couch I chill on. She was extremely pissed about the fact that I left her DVDs in the door. She lectured me about how a dumbass white person like me just doesn't understand how things work in the hood. Someone could have seen me leave them there and could have come behind me and stolen them. I should have waited until she was home. I was disrespectful and rude and ungrateful and she went on and on. I didn't have an attitude in my voice and I did apologize, but I also mentioned that even though I appreciated the gesture, the movies were really pretty terrible and not worth anything. Abruptly and very eerily, her tone changed. Suddenly, she was sweet old Miss Coco again. She told me I was right and she was just a little on edge that night. She apologized for her reaction and told me I was good to her and didn't deserve that. Then she says, as a matter of fact, she'd gotten her script early this month. She picked it up earlier today. Why don't I come on over tonight and get it? Now, any sane, sober person would have immediately noticed the red flags here. But in my infinite, knotted-out wisdom, I thought Junkie Jesus had performed a miracle for me and that my night was about to get even better. Time to get extra faded, bros. I'll be back with more goodies ASAP. I headed off down the street to Coco's house. I'm still very, very high. I'm walking up to the house and I see that the DVDs are still there. Coco opens the door before I even get on the step and tells me to pick up the movies and bring them inside. Her voice was stern, which was unlike her. But she didn't sound crazy like she had on the phone. I bring them into the living room where I always go to sit and something is just off. The hairs on the back of my neck stand up. I realize she's still behind me in the foyer area. She starts telling me the same thing she was saying on the phone, but calmly this time. My back is still to her, I don't say a word. I set the DVDs onto a side table and despite being extremely inebriated, finally realize that I'm definitely not here to pick up pills. A temporary sobriety of the survival instinct variety kicked in all at once. Everything just sort of clicked into such a clear, crisp vividness that I'll never forget. I knew she was standing exactly where the shotgun leans. I knew she was between me and the door. I knew that she wanted to kill me, and I knew that she already had a whole gang of local folk ready to corroborate whatever story she came up with. Every single detail that Selena had described to me the day she warned me about Miss Coco played through my mind in a matter of seconds. I ran. I burst out the back of the living room, knocking over that stack of fucking bullshit bootlegs as I scrambled past it. I'll be honest, once I had found my way out the back door, I wasn't that scared anymore. 
It's not like she was going to catch me. I circled back around the tiny house and took off down the street, probably before she even managed to hobble around and look out of the front door for me. I never did see if she even actually picked up the gun. My back was to her, and I made the decision to run without even turning around, but I just knew it. I felt it. It was a feeling I won't soon forget. The scary part was knowing just how absolutely mind-numbingly high I was and how oblivious I was until the very last second. And that's the story about how I was almost taken out by a crazy little old lady with a shotgun over the world's shittiest bootleg DVDs. Makes you wonder what small infraction her late husband committed. Yeah, this is a true story, and I have lots more drug-fueled wild encounters if any of you would like to hear more. Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. If you'd like to get your story on the show, you can find all submission options at disturbedpodcast.com. Leave us a voicemail or text at 701-354-3667, and it just might make it onto the show. Or head over to our website and click the voicemail tab on the right. Disturbed is an independent production funded through advertising and your support. And if you'd like to support the show, you can get early access to our premium feed featuring ad-free listening and bonus episodes. Visit patreon.com slash disturbed podcast to learn more. And here's a shout out to our newest supporters. Jamie Nimick, Kirsten Ketchum, Kevin Ont, Annie DeBats, Wendy Waterman, Chris Garza, and Reckless Raven. They all get instant access to our catalog of bonus episodes, ad-free listening, and 24-hour early episode releases. And you can too. Patreon.com slash Disturbed Podcast. Music by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all.